Let us pray together, shall we? Let's bow our heads in prayers. Father, we thank you for this day and we bless you for your goodness and for your faithfulness in preserving our lives. Seven months have come and gone and Lord, you have kept us alive. And today is the first day of August. Lord, we give you thanks for your faithfulness and for your great mercies. Indeed, it is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Every day we wake up to experience your mercies and your kindness. And so, Lord, we thank you. We also thank you for your word by which we live and we, we move. Lord, we thank you because your word is true. And, Lord, the, the, the entrance of your word brings light into our hearts and into our lives. I pray, Lord God, that you will take your word and uh, bring life into the hearts of your people this day in a special way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I'm going to share a message um, that, uh, you know, years back, it used to be very, very uh, popular. You're looking at some 20, 30, 40 years back. I know, but then it's gone a little bit uh, quiet over the years. And uh, as a matter of fact, I, you know, because one thing is that I believe that God always wants to bring to us a word in season. And the Bible says a word in season, how sweet it is. You know, and I always pray. I don't just pick up anything to preach about. You know, you can pick up any topic, run through the concordance, and come up with, uh, uh, well, a good, uh, almost like a good lecture, actually, but we're not talking about a lecture here. We're talking about the Word of God. And uh, God led this in my heart. And strange enough, there are things that at every point in time, God is saying to his people. Sometimes he's saying to a, it to an individual. Sometimes he's saying it to a church. A local, particular local church. Sometimes he's saying it uh, to the whole, ch whole church, uh, universal church worldwide. And uh, uh, I think it was probably Thursday or so um, after I closed from office and Vicky and I were driving home. And then I had somebody uh, on the Christian radio, uh, you know, talking about the same thing. In fact, reading one of the scriptures I have down, I said to Vicky, this is what I'm going to be preaching about, it. you know. And uh, so, and yesterday before I went upstairs, I like to go up to begin to prepare and pray. I just switched on the Christian channel, and there was somebody talking about the same thing, you know? And uh, I know God wants us every once in a while to remind ourselves as to why we're here, but also, most importantly, where, where we're going from here. It's very, very important. I'm going to be talking about uh, Jesus is coming again. But let's begin by reading a scripture before we go to the screen. Yes, just leave that for now. But um, let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. That is not on your screen, but you can open to that in your own Bible. Jesus Christ was speaking. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. You know, um, there are two ways, just, just two ways as a matter of fact, as far as the Bible is concerned. Only two ways, you know, that people go from here. The narrow way or the broad way. And notice that the uh, narrow gate, the Bible says enter. It says you enter by that gate. It takes some, some effort to enter. But then... You know, um, the way to destruction, the Bible says that there are many that go. You know, it doesn't take much effort to go. It's like just letting go on a, in a, flood, in a flowing stream. You know, it doesn't take effort to find yourself downstream. 
All you have to do is just stop swimming and then you just find yourself downstream. But it takes effort. Verse 14 says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now you want to find yourself, you want to make sure you are on this narrow path. And the Bible says clearly that it is narrow and it is difficult, but it leads to life. You know, people want to pursue easy things. Everything easy, everything's easy. We live in those days. When I was in, in college back, you know, many, many years ago, several decades ago, 40-something years ago, uh, in, in the secondary school, we used to have some of those uh, uh, books. Some of you probably will remember. Physics made easy. Chemistry made easy. Biology made easy. How many of you remember the, some of those things? Some of you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, everything made easy. You know, we want all those things. And today we have microwave to make things easy for us. We want microwave food, microwave everything. We just want to go to the shop, pick up some stuff, put in the microwave. Within five minutes, we are ready to eat. Nobody wants to sit down again to prepare a meal. But uh, every once in a while, it's good that uh, we do that. Now, it, it takes effort. The Bible says that narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. So when you find yourself you know, faced with challenges and difficult times as a Christian, that is normal. Challenges in the path of the Christian are normal. It, you know, there's nothing that the Christian is facing that Jesus Christ did not already tell us about. And we need to understand that. You know, because if you have the impression that Christianity is about everything being made easy, if we get into serving God with that kind of mindset, which is wrong, then whenever we face challenges, we would begin to think that, uh, well, maybe God is no longer with us, or God has forsaken us, or this is not what I should be into. But Jesus Christ warned that there will be difficult times, but he told us also that he has overcome the world. Thank God for that. Hallelujah. Now, we want to make sure we strive to enter by this way, uh, this narrow gate. It takes effort. It takes effort. It's difficult. But at the end, you know, the thing is that for every way that you take, there is always something at the end of it. So you want to make sure that the path that you are taking, that where that path is leading you to is the right path. You know, it's one thing to take the wrong path maybe while you are driving, you know, and uh, you may end up just in the wrong town and the wrong village and the wrong place. But you see, the worst thing is if you take the wrong road as far as eternal life is concerned you know because that one there's no going back you can if you want to go to Birmingham for instance and you miss your road and, and get on the M11 and find yourself in Cambridge you know you can retrace your stairs and, and maybe eventually find yourself in Birmingham but if you take the wrong way as far as eternal life is concerned when you get to hell there is no turning back you know I see, that's why I said that this message has not been preached for, it's not, it's very popular. You don't normally hear people say amen when you preach stuff like this. But this is, thank God bless you for those amen. You know, but we thank God, the word of God is true. Hallelujah. So let's go to the screen and see some few things. Um, I decided to just put some things up on the screen. Oh, where's it? All right. On the screen. So uh, the first thing I want us to understand is that there is life. After death. I said there is life after death. You know, don't be deceived. You know, sometimes you hear people saying, well, maybe they are going through difficult times and, and they are suffering. Let me die and rest. Now, that is not exactly true. There is nothing like dying and resting for every human being. You only die and rest if you are in Christ. 
So no matter what your suffering is, no matter what your difficulties are, you are not just going to experience rest just by dying. It is only those in Christ that die and experience rest. And I have no apology for making this statement because it is true. People get deceived. Let me just die and rest. No, no, no. You, gotta, you have to be in Christ to experience rest. Or else I can guarantee you if this Bible is true, and I believe it is, whatever, there's no amount of suffering here on earth. The worst of cancer pains, the worst of any kind of suffering you can think of cannot be compared with the, with the sufferings of hell. So you, if you think somebody is suffering too much, they had better be in Christ. Because if they are not in Christ and they go to hell, hell is worse than whatever they were suffering here. So the Jesus Christ, what, and when you look at the fact that, look, for goodness sake, every time, you know, I've said this, if you've been in this church for a while, you would have heard me say this. Every time we, 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 we celebrate Easter, it reminds us of the, the death of Jesus, the sufferings of Jesus. And when you read the book of Isaiah and you, you, you know, also read the account of the sufferings of Jesus on the cross, before and on the cross, how he suffered, he was mocked, he was beaten and crucified. Can you imagine, you know, people talk of pain. But can you imagine while you are 100% alive and nails are being driven through your, the palms of your hands and through your feet? And you are hung on the cross. All your, so it means that your whole body weight you know, is being sustained only through the, the holes in, in your palms and on in your feet. So everything, the pain, the suffering, everything. Now, it, 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 when you look at this and you believe that Jesus Christ went through this, and he did. Because there's not just the biblical um, account, but there are historians that documented some of these things. Because Jesus actually walked the face of the earth. Now, the, the fact that he went through all those sufferings is an indication of how serious the issue of sin is. As a matter of fact, for just one time that Jesus Christ cried to the Father, he, you know, he prayed to the Father, Lord, you know, <laughs> let your will be done. It, take this cup from me. Take this suffering from me. But you know, if it is possible, and God did not answer that. He didn't take it away because there was no other way to bring about salvation except through the death of Jesus. So even though Jesus Christ asked God to remove that suffering, if there was a way to avoid that terrible death, and God did not have him avoid that, because there was no other way to bring salvation to mankind. No other way. And God allowed him to go through that. For once, God did not answer the prayers of Jesus. God did not grant his request because there's no other way. God so, so looked from heaven and said, if I allow you to get this to pass by this, then there is no, no salvation. What I'm trying to say is that the issue of eternal Condemnation and suffering is so serious that it took Jesus suffering the way he did to bring about a way to avoid it. And there is only one way to avoid it. And that is through Christ Jesus. And that is what the gospel is about. The gospel is not about making your life easy necessarily. It is first and foremost about having you delivered from eternal condemnation in hell. 
Every other thing is secondary. You know, I have said it and for years. Jesus Christ said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Other things will be added. Jesus did not just come to, to make us rich, to have more money. You know, I, I'll never forget some few years back when Pastor Lawrence made a state, this statement. Because I've been saying this for years. But you know, sometimes somebody can make a statement and it just registers. He was preaching here some years back, maybe about a couple of years or so. He said there were many rich people in the world before Jesus came. There were many rich people. As a matter of fact, the person that went to carry the body of Jesus to bury was a rich man. So Jesus did not come because people were financially poor. Not everybody was poor. As a matter of fact, not everybody was sick. So he didn't just come because people were financially poor. He didn't just come because everybody was sick physically, but he came because everybody was sick spiritually. If I not just sick, dead. Everybody was dead spiritually. That is why Jesus came. Not everybody was poor financially. Not everybody was sick physically, but everybody was dead spiritually. So the first thing that he came he said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. He didn't say, behold the Lamb of God that brings him money. <laughs> behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Other things are secondary. So we must take this thing seriously. I believe in, in prosperity. I believe in healing. But I, first of all, believe in the forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. So Jesus came primarily to have our sins forgiven. Healing can follow. Prosperity, welfare, whatever else is secondary. Because at the, as a matter of fact, you don't have to have a lot of money to go to heaven. In fact, you don't need any money at all to go to heaven. Aren't you glad? The salvation cannot be bought with money. If it could, then the rich folks would buy everything off and reserve for their grandchildren. You know, I can imagine Pastor Lawrence would have bought a lot and cared for his children. For his great-grandchildren. Great -grandchildren. We, we are dedicating one today. Uh, Pastor Lawrence would have bought more salvation to keep for his great-great-great-grandchildren. Uh, you know, and <laughs> praise God. Thank God, salvation is free. Hallelujah. So in Luke chapter 16, and this is one of those accounts. I want to say, like Pastor Lydia, you know, say, sometimes you know, she, she's corrected. I say, well, people say story. It's not a story, but she says it's an account. You know? Amen. <laughs> See, there are times you read the scriptures and you are reading and parables. There are parables. But there are things written in the scriptures that are not parables. They are not figurative language. They are actual you know, documentation and accounts. So when here the Bible says there was a certain rich man. He didn't say supposing there was a certain rich man. He didn't say imagine there was a certain rich man. He said there was. So actually at some point, some thousands of years back, because he's looking at, at this time uh, of Abraham. Abraham you know, at this time was already in the presence of God in, in paradise because 
So this must have happened in the Old Testament time. This actually happened. He said, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. But he says, there, but there was a certain, again, a certain beggar named Lazarus. You don't use the word certain for parables. You know? So he says here, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of souls, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his souls. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now, I want you to take note of something here. It says the beggar died and then he was carried. So he didn't just die and then, well, let me die and that's it. You see, human beings are not like animals. When animals died, die, well, that's it. You know, there may be some animals in heaven, maybe, but they are not those who have gone to heaven from earth. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, so when animals die, well, that's just it. You know, but human beings, when human beings die, beings die actually death, physical death is simply, is simply yes, the spirit man has left their physical body. That's what it is. Your, your spirit man has left your physical body. That is what physical death is. Because without the spirit, this body is dead. So physical death is actually your spirit man leaving this body. But it does not cease to exist. It exists in another place, but in a different form. So the, this, you know, it says that this poor man the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Abraham believed in God. He said the rich man also died and was buried and being in torment. So here are two people and they died and both of them, you know, they were found in different locations, different places. The poor person died, was carried into Abraham's bosom and the rich man died and was buried, but then he found himself in torments in hell, Hades. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, there's something here. You see, when you die, it is possible after your death, you will recognize people. Amen? Our brethren have gone, you know, as long as we go to heaven like they have gone, when we get there, we will recognize them. Amen? We will recognize them. So, here... This rich man was in hell. And let me say this. Let's not make the mistake and think that the rich man went to hell because he was rich. And let's not make the mistake and think that the poor, uh, poor man went to paradise because he was poor. Poverty doesn't take you to paradise. Neither does rich, rich, riches take you to hell. It is lack of believing in God that takes you to wherever you, you, you find yourself. So apparently and obviously the rich man must not have believed in God. So he found himself where he was. And, you know, and by the way, let me say this, you know, Abraham was a rich man. The Bible says Abraham was a very rich man. But he walked with God. And so he is the patriarch. And the, so it's like the people at that time, before the death and resurrection of Jesus, people were now taken in, into paradise, into his bosom. He is the father of uh, the faith. So, but then the poor man died. And he was taken to, the Abraham, to Abraham's bosom. But then the rich man was in torment. He lifted up his eyes. And verse 24 said, he cried and said, Father Abraham, 
have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Said, I am tormented in this flame. There's something here. This also, you know, should obliterate completely all this wrong teaching that, uh, you, know, you know, if you are not a very good man or if you didn't believe in God, and then you die, you go to a temporary place called purgatory, you suffer there for a little while, then from there you are carted away to heaven or to paradise. That is not good. That's not it. This man didn't go to any place like purgatory for any temporary He went into suffering straight. Straight. And those who die in Christ begin to enjoy heaven straight. Hallelujah. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. You know, some, some years ago, there was this true testimony. You know, uh, some of us know my uh, good, good friend, uh, Dr. Panam Pesci, Paul, the musician. You know, know him very, know very well. You know, this, there was one of his musicians, uh, you know, uh, his name was uh, Moses. Yeah, Thomas Moses. Thomas Moses. I don't know if Bernie knows him, but he, is, he was the, the person playing bass guitar for Panam. So I knew him personally, you know, because when I was... Uh, uh, with the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship back in Nigeria, I got them to minister at one of our meetings. You know, so I knew him personally. And by the way, uh, they were based in Jos in Nigeria, so I knew him. You know, and uh, unfortunately, this brother uh, Thomas Moses is going to be with the Lord. I think just probably over ten years now, thereabouts. You know, but um, something strange happened. I heard, you know, um, after his death, there was a sister in the Lord who knew him personally, but she was in another set. You know, that time, you know, Panam used to go all over the place ministering and things like that. And so there was this, you know, true testimony. This sister in another state fell ill, and uh, she died. And uh, so, but in heaven, and she was really enjoying heaven and, you know, kind of looking around, and she was rejoicing, and the Lord Jesus Christ uh, came to her. But before the Lord Jesus Christ came to her, look, you're going to have to go back to the earth. Your job is not done yet. You know, she was looking around and she saw Brother uh, Tom, uh, Mo Thomas Moses. She saw him. You know, but before probably she could say hello to him and things like that, Jesus Christ came and said, you're going to have to go back to the earth. Your job is not done yet. You'll come back here later. You know, and then she found herself back in her body. You know, on the people were already crying that she was dead. But then she came back and the moment her spirit came back to her body, of course, the body picked up life. And so she, uh, the brethren, you know, uh, attended to her. And after some time, she began to narrate the, the story that she died and went. But she said, uh, heaven is so beautiful, so beautiful. She didn't want to come back. But Jesus Christ said she had to come back, you know. But she said the thing that surprised her the most was that, how come I saw Brother Thomas Moses? What is he doing in heaven? I didn't have much answer, but what is he doing? I saw him there. It was then they told her that Brother Th Thomas died a few weeks ago. She didn't know. She didn't know that Brother Thomas had died some few weeks back in another state. But she died in another state, went to heaven, and saw him there. So life after death is real. Heaven is real. You notice it's only Christianity that we have legitimate testimonies of people that have gone their sins and come back to tell us real life stories. 
There's life after death. Hallelujah. And there is heaven to go to. And hell to make sure you avoid. So Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus' evil things, but now he's comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those who uh, from there to pass to us. And then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you will send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers. So his memory was intact. Now, I believe it's very ex uh, excruciating. Even in this life, you know, when you begin to think back and uh, you remember certain opportunities that you missed about, maybe financial opportunities, maybe job opportunities, maybe marriage opportunities, maybe whatever opportunities we miss here on earth. And after some time, oh my goodness, there was a time back, I saw this thing very cheap and uh, I, I didn't, wasn't serious, I didn't buy it. You know? And we kind of regret. But there are people that when they get to hell, remembering the so many opportunities they had to commit their life to Jesus that they did not take, is what they will live it with all through eternity. And there are people that will find themselves in hell just having kind of um, neglected opportunities, maybe a few minutes earlier. Years ago, my pastor, my pastor back in Nigeria in the 80s, you know, went on evangelism in the city of Jos, Nigeria. And, uh, you know, on the street, he tried to speak with uh, somebody. He said, can I speak to you about Jesus? He said, oh, no, no, I don't want to hear about Jesus. And the person left and uh, went down the street and the person was trying to cross and a vehicle hit that person and the person died. Just a few minutes, the person says he don't want to hear about Jesus. A few minutes, the person is dead. Tell me how or what the, this person will be thinking in hell. I just missed salvation by a few minutes. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I always say this, that in this life, you can gamble with a few things around, and sometimes you recover. But even if you don't recover, uh, you know, the pain may not be too much. You can gamble with money a little bit. Sometimes you can recover. Gamble with marriage a little bit. Sometimes you recover. Sometimes you don't. <laughs> but when it comes to the issue of salvation, you cannot afford to gamble. Because it is appointed unto man once to die after that judgment. There's no, no, there's no, you can't, there's no recovery. This, look, it's right here. This man tried to look for a way out. No way out. He said, well, okay, please send uh, somebody to go and talk to my brothers. I've got five brothers. They, I, I love them. I don't want them to come to this place. Oh, my God. Verse 29, Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. You know, that's why I'm saying that this thing happened some thousands of years back, well before the coming of Christ. 
So they have Moses. At this time, Moses was still on the earth preaching. <laughs> and the prophets. Let them hear them. He says, and he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And I tell you, this statement is still happening today. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And yet, not everybody is believing that. You would have thought that Jesus died, rose from the dead. My goodness, that is a, that is a miracle. We've got to believe in him. No, but no. Not everybody is believing that. Even though Jesus rose from the dead. And he was seen by so many people. Which we will read about in a minute. So it's not about somebody coming from the dead. And we've, talked about, we've had testimonies of people who died, came back to life. And told us some things that really should get us on the right track. So there is life after death. And so in those days, you know, some 20 something, 30 something years back, you know, we used to do evangelism. And uh, where will you spend eternity? Isn't it? <laughs> some of you will remember. Where will you spend eternity? You need to know that there is life after death. And you see, this knowledge will help you, you know, uh, uh, as to how you live and conduct your life here on earth. Because how you live here on earth will determine where you go from here. What you believe here will determine where you go from here. Forget about tradition. Forget about I was born a Muslim. I was born a Catholic. I was born a Baptist. I was born a... The thing is that I, you, born again. There are people, unfortunately, that will go to hell because, you know, even though you know, where they were born, it's not teaching about being born again. They stay there. Oh, this is our own thing. This is our, my father's church. This is my father's tradition. This is our, our culture. This is that. Culture will not take you anywhere. Only Jesus will take you to heaven. You know, I, I mean, some of us grew up, we grew up, first of all, in the village in Africa. We grew up, first of all, being brought up in pagan worship. And then we started to go to church. We found Jesus. As well, I mean, the, the pastor was preaching about Jesus. And uh, when I got born again, and, uh, you know, I, I love that. And when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I found out that they didn't quite believe. Even though they believed in salvation, they didn't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I had to look for a bunch of brethren that believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I joined the Pentecostal ministry. And so I grew like that. If not, I won't be speaking to you today. I didn't say, well, I was brought up in this, so I cannot go. I, can't leave. I was brought up in this, you know. That this, you know. But the question is that, okay, you can live and die there, but where do you go from there? Where do you go from there? Praise God. Now, number two, because I just want to share some, I'm not, not, I'm not doing an exhaustive teaching on the coming of Jesus. I know it will take months and months and months. So I just want to share some scriptures to uh, stir our hearts up. Number two, Jesus is returning for us believers. So first of all, Jesus Christ is coming. But who is he coming for? He is coming for us. I say he's coming for you if you're a believer. You know, we should rejoice. We should rejoice. The poor man can rejoice. The rich man can rejoice. 
the person suffering can rejoice because he knows that this is not all there is to life. The sick person, if, as long as they're in Christ, they have hope that the time is going to come when this sickness will not be able to fall onto their bodies again. The poor man can rejoice because, thank God, the day is coming, you know, this poverty will not be an issue again. Hallelujah. You know, whatever it is any person is facing here on earth, a time is coming that will no longer be an issue. Thank God for Jesus. Hallelujah. So the, the rich man has hope. The poor man has hope. The sick man has hope. Every person has hope. So John chapter 14, Jesus Christ said, verses 1 to 6, don't let your hearts be troubled. You know, I, I mean, the message that Jesus is coming back again should get us rejoicing. You know, but sometimes, you know, it's like we love this world so much that we don't even want Jesus to come back. Yeah, yes. After, no, no, no. You, you see, the people that God has given the privilege of seeing heaven. In fact, they didn't want to come back. Even though the just guy said, no, you need to go back. Your work's not done yet. You know, so heaven is a beautiful place. We ought to be looking forward to going there. You know, but sometimes we have timetable, our timetable here on earth. I have just finished university. I, I haven't married yet. I haven't even got any married. Let me marry first. I mean, let me have children first. Let me have a house first. Uh, hey, then Jesus can come. Jesus Christ is not going, to, it's not going by a timetable. God has got his timetable. He's going to come. You better be ready. Amen? You better be ready. Because whatever you think, you think you are building here on earth cannot be compared with what Jesus Christ is building for us in heaven. You know? The people here work day and night. I'm fine. Yes, we have to keep things going. But don't do that at the expense of your own salvation. So Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. The old King James says, you believe in God, believe also in me. So the reason why you should not let your heart be troubled is because you believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? Then let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> Hallelujah. He said, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I... Um, have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. Say, so when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know who here now, but, well, let me just use this in a general sense. So here is somebody here who is uh, born here in the UK, and, uh, you know, he finishes his university, whatever it is, and, you know, got a job, got his own place, so he said, look, you know, he's beginning to want to marry. And uh, he hasn't found somebody here quite, so decides to go back to Africa, let's say Nigeria, poor old Nigeria. <laughs> I said, let me go and get me a wife from Nigeria, you know, and things like that. So he goes and finds a wife, pays the money, and gets married to the lady. So he says, lady, okay, you have to wait. I have to go back to UK and get things ready. Then after that, I will come, and then we will now come to the UK together. Hallelujah. Amen? So he is married to the lady. He lives by her back there, and he comes here, makes sure everything's sorted out, and, and you know, everything, the paperwork, everything's done, and 
you paste all the necessary fees at the home office and, and so on and so on and so forth. And once he's got all the documents ready and everything ready, he now goes back to go and bring her. Hallelujah. But this is just even a very infinitesimal, if I use a word, kind of example to use as far as the coming of Jesus Christ is concerned. But Jesus has gone. You see, he came to the earth, died for us, to purchase us, more or less, as his wife. You know, the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Amen? He's come and bought us, purchased us with his precious blood. He has paid for us. Amen? So, but he's gone back to heaven. He came from heaven. Just like the man who left UK to go back to Nigeria. Jesus came from heaven. He came here and paid the price for his wife, the church. So he's gone back to heaven preparing enough room to make sure that Yannick gets her room, Rose gets her room, Pastor Lawrence gets his room. And Pastor, even though they, they wouldn't be husband and wife, but at least you know, to make sure that uh, Pastor Lawrence's house is not too far from uh, Lydia's house. She may want to go over and say hello to him and things like I used to be a wife down on the earth. And then Pastor Willis also goes over to his person, goes to this place, and you know, <laughs> Hallelujah. When he is done, and then he is going to come back. Thank God! Aren't you glad that Jesus is coming back? No religious leader said they were coming back. Nobody, at least, and succeeded. You know, at least one person claimed. You know, remember D. Lawrence. Some of you probably have read about D. Lawrence years back. No, 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 not, not this one. No. You know? <laughs> you know? But, <laughs> D. Lawrence, uh, you know, if you probably Google, you probably go and uh, find out something. This guy was one of those religious leaders, and he told his followers that he was going to die and rise on the third day, just like Jesus Christ did. And so he even announced it, and newspapers came, and, you know, journalists came around, and so on. And on the third day, and strange, you know, on the third day, the grave was shaking. You know, there, this devil, this devil, you know, the fear at all, this devil. This devil, you know, the grave was actually shaking. So cameras and people were waiting so that, uh, you know, he would come out. But according to the Yes, this one is a story, but I think it's true, not a count. No. <laughs> you know, but this is true, actually. You know, it, you know, the thunder came from heaven and struck that grave and leveled the thing down. That was the end. So any demon that was trying to play pranks, it didn't work. That was the closest anybody tried to come to, you know, Try to come back again like Jesus. But Jesus Christ, my goodness, hallelujah. He died and he rose again. Amen. He died and he rose again. And he is coming back. Praise God. You know, I tell you, that's why, I mean, nothing bothers me here on earth. I know that it's a matter of time before Jesus returns. And even if he doesn't return during my lifetime, I know where I'm going when I die. I know where I'm going. And you see, if you know where you're going, you, you, know, you don't have to be so much afraid of death. And, you know, you're living in fear all the days of your life. Jesus has delivered us. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, he came, he came to deliver those who were all their lifetime held in bondage to the fear of death. Yeah. 
Hallelujah. He came to set us free. There are people all their lifetime afraid of death. You know, we know where we're going. And as much as we know why we're here. <laughs> and look at verse 3. When everything is ready. He didn't say if. He said when. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of time. God has got his timetable. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ said that that day, you know, again, that's another story. When people are picking dates. And we've had people deceived. Who picked this? Jesus is coming back on this on the 13th of November, on the, this date and that and that. And some followers believe it. Jesus made a statement, very startling statement. He said, nobody knows that day. He said, only the Father. And yet somebody will wake up here and say, well, uh, Jesus Christ uh, is coming on the, this date. And some people will believe. In, um, there was somewhere, I think in America some years back, the followers, the, the, their, their leader told them Jesus Christ was coming back on a particular date, and the people believed it. And he told them to sell all their property, they sold all their properties, and they went and they were waiting and waiting and waiting. That day came and passed, and Jesus Christ didn't come back. And, you know, I mean, I just don't know how people can really get that. But when you read the Bible, the Bible says nobody, 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 not even the angels. And then one human being wake up and say that they know the date. But I see, people will follow that person because they don't know the Bible. The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And look at what Jesus Christ said. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Now, he made it very clear. He said you will always be with me. He didn't stop there. He said where I am. I don't want to be, not just Jesus to be with me. He is with us now. But you see, we are not yet where he is. So it's not just a matter of, okay, you will be with me or I will be with you all the time. He said, yes, he will be with us all the time here on earth. But the time is going to come. We will not just be with him. He will not just be with us. We will be where he is. Hallelujah. And... Uh, Verse 4, and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know. Lord Thomas said, doubting Thomas, you know. He said, we have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus Christ now throws this one of the most profound statements in the whole of Scripture. You know, this is, there's no ambiguity about this particular verse. You know, at all. This is as definite as it gets. As precise as it gets. He said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. So, there is only one way. Say, I am the truth. There's only one truth. And, and the life. The way, the truth, the life. No one, oh my God, no one can come to the Father except through me. 
And now there's nobody that can go around this scripture. No matter how religious you are, no matter who, whoever, there's no way around this scripture. This is one of the most definite scriptures that we have in the Bible. There's no explaining this away at all in any way. This is, he says, I am the way. This, you know, <laughs> one of these motivational preachers, you know, was, I think it was CNN or so or something. They, you know, they were asking the person, a very prominent person with you know, thousands of people. You know, they were asking him if he believes that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He was going about it, going about it. It didn't come out clearly. My goodness, you put me on CNN and ask me, I would shout it. Jesus Christ is not just, a, and you know, this political correctness, you know, some years back when we wanted to go on television, some of the things they put it there, you know, trying to regulate what is said and so on, you know, saying that we are not allowed to preach on the television to say that Jesus Christ is the only way, that it is okay for us to say that we believe that Jesus is the only way, but we shouldn't preach that Jesus is the only way. Can you see that? I don't know if you get the trick of what they are trying to say. You know? So that we should say that we are the ones that believe that way, but that it is not so. But they see there are definite statements regardless of what people believe. Did you hear that? The thing is that whether you and I believe that he is the only way or not, he is the only way. And whether the whole world believes that he is the only way or not, he is the only way. He is not the only way because of what we believe. He's the only way because, of he, because he is the only way. So to say, well, we are not supposed to preach that. Look, Jesus is the only way to God. They say we shouldn't say that. Like we should say that we believe. Yes, we believe, but we have to say what we believe. We believe because that is what is. <laughs> Amen? We believe because that is what is. Jesus is the only way to God. No other way. No other religion. Because as a matter of fact, for goodness sake, the thing is that the way to God is not even a religion. The way to God is a person. Huh? I said the way to God is a person. It is through a person that that person is Jesus. It is not through a religion. It's not even through the Christian religion necessarily. Because you can have the Christian religion as a religion without having Jesus as a person. So the way to God is through a person. When we talk about getting to God, we're talking about a person. When we talk about truth, we're talking about a person. When we talk about life, we're talking about a person. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the way. The truth and the life. Hallelujah. Acts chapter, chapter 1. Let's see. Acts chapter 1. The former account I made, all Theophilus, the writer of Acts, and also the writer of Luke. You will see some similarity. Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. I love that sequence. You know, some of us, we try to do what we preach. And, uh, <laughs> amen? I don't know if you get what I'm trying to say. Most of us, we try, we make effort to do what we preach. But Jesus Christ was teaching what he did. 
So he first of all was doing before preaching. So he began both to do and teach. So what he was teaching was what he was doing. So it's not like he was making effort to do what he was teaching. He was teaching what he was doing. That's another dimension. Verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So after the resurrection of Jesus, he was around, you know, appearing to people, speaking with people, including his disciples, for over 40 days, for 40 days. So there was proof. Historians, you know, philosophers, some of them wrote about some of these things, you know, about the, the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ appeared and spoke with people, spoke with his disciples. So he is not in the grave. I say he's not in the grave. And he's not on the cross either. You know, sometimes people want to buy that thing with the Jesus hanging on the cross. No, he's not there. He's left that cross. In fact, he's not in the grave. He's left the grave. He is in heaven. Jesus Christ is no longer on the cross. Jesus Christ is no longer in the grave. Jesus Christ is in heaven. He is not coming from the ground to come to us. He is not coming from off the cross to come to us. He is coming from heaven. So when we talk about Jesus coming back, he is coming back from heaven. He is not coming back from the grave. He has come back from the grave. Since, and look at what happened here in verse 9. He jumped to verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner, as you saw him go into heaven. Hallelujah. A day is coming. And Jesus Christ is going to come from heaven for his own. So the thing is that the question is, will you be among those that he will be coming for? You know, we are not talking about wishing here. We're not talking about just hoping. We're talking about believing and knowing. You need to know that when Jesus comes, not if, he said when, he is definitely coming. When he comes, will you be among those that will go? You know, these are not things that you just try to, uh, you know, presume. You, you, these are things that you ought to know. If you're in Christ, you ought to know. It's not something that you... You try to figure out. If you are in Christ, you ought to know. Hallelujah. You ought to know. I say you ought to know. Hallelujah.